his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. I'm Paula Dagnan. We begin this week with Scranton Fire Superintendent Pat DeSarno. He talks about the new fireworks laws and how they'll affect 4th of July, which is right around the corner. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here. And a lot of people have been talking, Chief, about the um, idea that the laws in Pennsylvania have now changed for fireworks. Can you kind of give us a little bit of an idea exactly what that means for the average person living in your community? Uh, um, The the laws have changed now to allow um, Pennsylvanians to buy a higher grade of fireworks, so to speak, like the days of the sparklers and the little things that stay on the ground. Um, That used to be how it was. Now, uh, residents in Pennsylvania can buy like aerial type fireworks, bottle rockets, um, a little more explosive stuff, more aerial, you know, exploding stuff up there. They can't buy explosive. It has to do with the amount of uh, grams of black powder in a thing, like quarter sticks and M80s and such are still not allowed in Pennsylvania. But some of the stuff that that can fly around in the air, which is probably the more dangerous stuff, you know, is allowed to be bought by Pennsylvania residents now. And it is something that an association I belong to, the Pennsylvania Career Chief, Chiefs, which comprises uh, chiefs from departments across our whole state, we were opposed to this legislation, but uh, yet and still, as loud as we as loud as we screamed, it, it, it passed. And um, and then there is a a new tax has been added to this, a twelve percent. When you buy fireworks, it's twelve percent. An extra six percent has been added, which was supposed to go to emergency services. A fund has been set up for emergency services. However, one of the things we uh, our association is upset about is. Um, we have been cut out of the, the pool, so to speak. We, we weren't happy with it anyway. We're kind of calling it, I hope not too harsh, your blood money. But, you know, we we're going to use that money if we if we got some to um, provide education on what's going on and maybe and get equipment that we might need because we, we fear that there's going to be a higher, a higher rate of um, fires going on because things are going to be flying around, especially in, in urban areas where our paid departments are, are located. But 75% of the, the revenue that's coming in is going to emergency services, like ambulance type things, which is fine. Everybody needs, everybody needs revenue. And 25% to the volunteers to help with their training, which is another good thing. But to cut the paid departments out seems to be you know, not right in a way. You know, since we, I believe we are going to be the ones that are involved mostly with them, dealing with all of the ramifications of... Um, what's the word? Careless fireworks use. Yes. Well, sorry, it, I rambled on there. <laughs> no, that's that's absolutely correct because that's one of the things that we want to make sure that people understand. And you mentioned a very important word there: training. I don't yeah. know. You you go and you read the side of the box. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, you know, it, education would be a big part. I mean, common sense comes into play, obviously. And that know, doesn't but, come on the right, side of the box that, either. No, that, that doesn't go. No, you're right. <laughs> but. Uh, you know, just please, people need to use common sense. There, there's 
it's hard to enforce the ordinances that are on the book because we talked about before on the site. You know, there are ordinances on the book in every municipality, but there just aren't enough bodies out there to stop everybody that's going to be blowing fireworks off in all of these municipalities illegally because most most cities don't allow fireworks to be blown off. But do you this, have to get a uh, Do you have to get a permit in Scranton? The uh, commercial people, the ones that do the big shows in our city, you know, they do. They need a permit, and they also need a million dollar bond when they come in to to allow these shows to go off. You know, so that's that. But for like that's commercial use for, but for like just um, residential people, you know, just citizens to use them. No, no, the stands, the stands, and the brick and mortar stores that are selling fireworks do need. They're supposed to have a license from uh, the Department of Agriculture. Don't know why that why they're under their purview, but they need to have those uh, to to sell fireworks in the state. So the one thing we can do from our end, because is to make sure that these stands that are popping up all over have these licenses. And if they don't, then we can shut them down until for, until further notice, until they do get them. So that's that's pretty much the only thing we can do from our end, you know. So there's no to, there's no caveat in the law then that says each individual municipality because. Are there, um, I know there are some municipalities that say they can only be during certain hours, uh, those kind of things. So is there anything? We have, we do have an ordinance on fireworks. We do have that. But again, the state law now supersedes all that. So they, um, state law requires that they not be, they be less than 150 feet from a structure. That's hard in the city, in 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 an urban community. Okay. That's one thing that's hard. They shouldn't be intoxicated. Of course you shouldn't be intoxicated. Don't know why that has to be a law, but it's in there. So all we can do is, um, it, it's just impossible for us, for the police departments to uh, to run around from house to house. You've been through cities on the 4th of July, the 3rd of July, 5th of July. It's it's like Beirut, for gosh sakes, you mm-hmm. know. So to, to try to enforce it on that level and to make sure they're 150 feet from their homes, it's just an an impossible task, I think. And now, and and we'll probably have to get the police departments to co- to uh, comment on this. But you have neighbors living next door to neighbors whose party ended an hour before, and now the neighbors are shooting off fireworks. So now, that can cause problems. These these are yeah the reactive calls. The reactive calls like when they're, when the police are dispatched, obviously they'll have to come out and do something about it. But for, for them to go out and just patrol neighborhoods, I think is just, it, it wouldn't be, it's impossible in my opinion. But just like ourselves, we have an open burn ordinance. We don't go around patrol and looking for people burning stuff and having little campfires. But if we get called, we have to do something about it. So if there are neighbors out there, and you know, not to be squealers for lack of a better word, but if you, you know, it's dangerous, you know, if, if things are going up in the air, we, nobody knows where they're coming down. So if you th- if you feel there's a danger, certainly call your local uh, police department and, and report and report them. So probably one of the things that uh, people should also do is consider having their garden hose, maybe. That, yeah, that well that would that would be smart. I know when I uh, I was a uh, an offender, so to speak. You know, no, I would, no, yeah, and uh, <laughs> but I would I would always have precautions in place. Yes, garden hose, fire extinguisher, whatever you whatever you might need. But you know, again, it's just. Be smart, use common sense, and be as safe as you possibly can. Be courteous, you know, be considerate of your neighbors. You know, if you see things going out of hand, just stop. It's, um, once again, we're going to we're gonna try to lobby our legislators to try to, you know, try to amend these laws in some way, shape, or form to make them a little safer. Again, our association was totally against it because now 
you're 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 just allowing too many. You're upgrading the the level of, of uh, explosives that you're you're being allowed out there to do, and it, it's it's just not a good thing. Putting them in the hands of untrained people. And a lot dangerous. of a lot of people just think Fourth of July, but now that they're available, it oh, could be any time. You know, that's a great point. You know, sure, Fourth of July was everybody you know scammed to get their their relatives from New York State to, to <laughs> smuggle their fireworks, and you know, yeah. But that's that's just a, a fact. But now to be able to just go out and buy them freely, there might be Fourth of July all year. You never know. <laughs> St. Patty's Day there'll be fireworks. Uh, it's Labor Day there'll be fireworks. Every holiday is going to have fireworks now because you can get them so easily. Every and time somebody gets straight A's. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Graduation parties will have fireworks. Everything christenings for gosh sakes. Yeah. Now one of the other things too, and uh, unfortunately your department is involved in this, is the gorge at Nayog Park. How yes. long? How many? before people understand it's not a good place to hang out. You know, it's it's that dangerous beauty, so to speak. You yeah. know, it's a really beautiful area. I, and again, as a teenager, I was an offender. So you was know. I. Yeah, there you go, right? <laughs> so, and it is beautiful, and it's a great place to cool off, but it's dangerous. You know, we've had a recent tragedy, and um, when I went up there, I, I had never seen it, and then the time I went up there as a young person, and and on the calls I've been on, I'd never seen the water running like that, so wide and so hard, and just it was just it is a dangerous area, and it is cordoned off as best as it can be. There are signs up there, you know, that it's illegal to swim there, which get taken. Gosh knows where they go, and you know you can't. It's it's hard to seal that place off. It's almost nearly impossible. People want to make the way. You've been up there. If people mm-hmm. want to make their way down, they're going to make their way down. So again, common sense would come into play, you know, and it is just, it's also an impossible task to patrol that 24-7. It's just impossible. But um, sadly, but luckily we, we have we have a great department. We have our rescue guys are are amazing. They're, they train hard. They, uh, they're great at their job. And um, we do the best we can to hopefully um, have a rescue rather than a recovery. I know this was the second recovery in my four short years as, as superintendent and I had gone on several others during my 30 years on the job before that so it's just it's a beautiful but dangerous place so again and it's again it is illegal to swim there you know I hate to go on that but it's an illegal activity you know so that's another thing you should you are breaking the law so but I don't know just it's going to be 90 degrees coming up in the next couple of days you Edge. know holidays coming up that's going to be a draw there. It's going to be hard to keep people out of there. So please be safe, be smart. When the pool is just a few feet away. Yeah, yeah, but that's <laughs> it's not the same. It's not the same. No, you're There's absolutely no right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. One of the other things that um, a lot of, and I just want to let everyone know that we are talking with Scranton Fire Chief Superintendent. Same, interchange, same, same, interchangeable, same, yes. same. <laughs> it, anyway, it's Pat DeSarno, and he wears many hats throughout not only that but he's also someone who will come and put in your smoke detectors yes thank you for letting me we have a an amazing smoke detector program in the city that i don't know why it's not being utilized more um if you call this number 570-348-4164 and you hit prompt one extension one we have a program that gives you two 10-year detectors three whatever however many bedrooms you have we will put two-year smoke detectors in and a co alarm for free installed awesome all you need to do as a scranton every scranton resident you don't have to own whether you own rent 
um, <laughs> flop somewhere. <laughs> if you call this number, we have we will install for you free smoke detectors because our our main goal is is uh, safety. You know, especially with, for children. Um, and we've tried to get the word out to the, into the schools. You know, we've, we've expanded this program under my tenure, so for lack of a better word, because that's something I'm really uh, up on. I really care about. Well, again, it's prevention. Yes, prevention. Uh, you know, sadly, a lot of these calls are could have been prevented, or, or a lot of the, the uh, injuries and sometimes fatalities that happen could have been prevented with a little bit of a... Uh, a little bit of some smoke detectors. Well, how many times do we report in newscasts about un- the unfortunate death of someone because there was no smoke detector or the smoke detectors weren't working in yeah. a home and a CO detector? Yes, yeah, yes, yes. Free, yeah, that was part of that was one of the things we added to our, to the to our program that we've had in place. So we just expanded it a little more, but we're really trying to push it. And I really wish people would take advantage of it uh, in the city of Scranton. Wow. Well, free and free installation. You can't beat it. No, and, and you'll come. Simple phone call. I might. Might stop by <laughs> personally. <laughs> One of the other things um, that, and I know in the Scranton Fire Department, they're paid firefighters. Yes. But volunteer organizations, they do help out. Oh, volunteers are amazing. You know, in my 30 years, I've seen a great shift between, uh, be, between the way volunteer and pay departments cooperate, interact with each other, okay? Uh, uh, a great shift in, in, in the whole thought process of it. It was, it was a chasm. There was a chasm just 30 years ago, and we've, and a lot, we've all come together because we all do the same job. We want to, we, all of us want to do the, have the same outcome in any kind of emergency or tragedy. So, yes, volunteers are amazing. I'm friends with so many of them. I've, I was honored to speak at two different um celebrations for volunteer organizations so and um i've just been to a convention with a and met a bunch of great volunteer chiefs and and hierarchy and we have in our association we have combination departments they're called and that are they are smaller departments that have so many paid guys and so many volunteers and part-timers and again, we're just it's all one profession you know we're all looking for the same outcome and we do the same business so you would encourage people to maybe consider getting involved in their volunteer organization because a lot of departments are just all volunteer especially in rural communities yes i i certainly would i i would i would hope that somebody would try to step up if that's what they wanted to do if they live in a rural community and they're maybe they're trying to get on a paid department but in the meanwhile sure get get all your training get all your certifications and, and help out in your community absolutely i would i would absolutely encourage that sure numbers are down and again that was a, a, a good part of that bill that I talked about, the 25% of the revenue going toward helping pe- vol- the volunteer organizations and recruiting and training and getting their members trained. That is an important part of it. But again, on the other side, we would just like a little piece of that pie since we are probably going to be handling the bulk of the emergencies caused by untrained people using fireworks um, just to help ourselves with education and with uh, some equipment that we might need. And that's kind of why I brought it together because I'm thinking of rural communities, lots of space, setting off fireworks, brush fires. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fields, brush fires. You know, that is absolutely. We're going to have in the more urban uh, and congested areas, denser areas, we're going to have house fires, you know, and in the rural areas, there's like a lot of wildfires that can happen from this thing. So, it's a danger to all communities, you know, with this expanded uh, fireworks law, with more people shooting off, more untrained people shooting off, more incendiary devices. It 
can't be a good mix. Well, we'll keep we'll keep thinking about you. And we will and, be tracking that. And we'll, we're going to be compiling some statistics over the course of this next year. So to uh, see what we can when we go back to our legislators. Yeah, you'll have to let us know about that. Anything else, Chief DeSarno, no, that I you'd like to add? I really appreciate you giving me this time. I think we hit on some important subjects. I really, I'm oh, greatly, I we have many pleased. more. Because we'll have to have you back when the winter comes back and talk about digging out the uh, fire hydrants. Uh, Okay, well, I've never (laughs) met a camera or microphone I didn't like. That's what they tell me. You're listening to Special Edition. During the summer, blood donations are needed the most, and it's the time when they're given the least. Nancy Kamen talks with Dave Skutnik from the American Red Cross. Let's talk about blood donation, uh, the importance of giving blood. How often is it that someone actually needs blood? Every two seconds, someone in this country needs blood. The need is tremendous, and it is. It's really 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And the summer is actually one of the most challenging times to keep enough blood on those hospital shelves in case of emergencies. So a lot of times we think about when a tragedy happens and you get a lot of people who then will say, I'm going to go give blood. But as you mentioned, um, it's it's needed all the time. So people don't think about it in that sense. Right. When when you get a, a community tragedy to happen, it's actually the blood that's already been donated, you know, maybe a week, two weeks ago that is actually helping those patients in hospitals at that time. But when you get a tremendous need for blood in the hospitals, you then have to replenish the supplies. So it is great to see everyone turn out and roll up their sleeves when there is that tragic event in the community. But it, it doesn't just take tragedy. You know, it's it's cancer patients, it's accident victims, it's routine surgery. Those folks all need blood each and every single day. That's a question a lot of people wonder is, is it just for an accident? You mentioned other things. Obviously, if there's something traumatic, people are bleeding, they need a blood supply. Uh, But mention some of the other things that uh, the blood goes to. uh, What kind of uh, illnesses and other uh, treatments? Yeah, sure. You have, you know, your accident and burn victims, but then any kind of uh, surgery, uh, heart surgery, they need a tremendous amount of blood for something like that. Organ transplants, you know, the big things. But then, you know, things that you think of that almost every one of us is touched by someone who has uh, cancer, leukemia, sickle cell disease. Those folks all need regular replenishment of their blood supply because of the treatments that they're getting. A lot of times we look at how things are done over time. Is there less people giving today uh, as in the past? Is it the same? Is it uh, more? I'm just curious as to how that goes. I, I think in general you're seeing uh, as the the world uh, kind of evolves that you're seeing, you know, at, at the Red Cross we're seeing fewer and fewer people that want to volunteer. You know, so many people are busy. You now have two working parent families and, and the sports are going all year round. Everybody's just so busy. And that happens in the summer, too, that, yeah, you tend to see that big dip in blood donations at different times of the year, but especially you see it now in the summer. Everyone's so busy. You got vacations. You just don't think about it. And one of our biggest blood donors are high schools and then colleges and universities. They're all off for the summer, so they're not there. So we see about a 20 to 25 percent drop in blood donations during the summer, and most of that is because the schools are off. It's good to hear, though, that young people want to get involved and want to help out. But as you say, to keep it going, how often can you give blood? You can give blood every 56 days, so about every two months or so. And, you know, just hit us up on the web, redcross.org, and you pop in your zip code, and it'll give you a list of blood drives that are right near. Chances are there's one around the corner from you sometime in the next week. You talk about how busy people are. How long does it take if you're going to say, I want to give blood today? 
what am I looking at for a time frame of uh, getting in and getting out? If it's the first time you've ever donated, it might take upwards of about 90 minutes, maybe, uh, you know, as long as two hours. But if you've given blood with the Red Cross in the past and we have your health history already on file, that process can take as little as an hour. Does it hurt? It does not hurt. I mean, you know, we all we all have to go give blood at some point. The doctor takes it whether we're willing to give it or not sometimes. So, you know, it's it's that little needle stick, but it, it, it does not hurt. I don't I, I don't want to say who can give because I'm, I'm guessing the vast majority of people can. Let's just talk about the few people, uh, you know, certain conditions, I guess, where people cannot give blood. Um, yeah, there are there are a few cases, but um, more often than not. Um, we see sometimes um, uh, women tend to have a lower iron level. That's one of the, the, the registers that we have to check before we can actually take blood. So um, have a glass of orange juice before you come out to, <laughs> to give blood. And that really t- takes care of that nine times out of ten. So um, drinking plenty of water. Make sure you're hydrated before you come to give blood. And most of the time, you're going to be A-OK. Most people can give. Is there some, uh, I, I thought I read where certain diabetic uh, medicines might affect blood? Uh, there are a few conditions and a few medications out there that uh, would cause you to be deferred. Uh, we do have that complete list on our website, redcross.org, and you can find out all that information. But, you know, most people, most of the, the healthy living population can give blood without a problem. Right. And and just so I can say also, if you are diabetic and you control it through diet, then you're not affected at all. So we're talking about, as you mentioned, uh, just a, you know, a smaller number of people. So you can check it out. What, what's the website again? Redcross.org. All right. Now, um, let's talk about the different blood types. Some people will say, oh, I have a very common blood type, so it might not be as important for me to give. I mean, that's not true because if it's very common, it's going to be a need more, isn't it? Oh, oh, it's a tremendous need. So type AB is the universal plasma type. So actually, there's several different types of blood donation. You know, there's whole blood, but then there's plasma, and those can be transfused to patients of any blood type in an emergency. So that AB type is really uh, one that we, we look for, and we encourage everyone to donate every 56 days, you know, as, as you can. Um, but, you know, all the letters, you know, whether you're A, you're B, you're O, you're AB, you're positive, you're negative, we do really have that tremendous lead, especially now in the summertime of all blood types. Are there any one, uh, is there any one type that you need more of than others? Um, not really. No, you know, it's a, not it's like a, a pretty, rare type or no, it's a pretty general, just that, that AB, as I mentioned is because it's that universal blood type and it can go to any person in an emergency. That's probably the, the one, the, the Holy grail of, of <laughs> blood types would be that AB, but really all blood types are needed to donate all throughout the year. Is there an age limit on donating? Uh, you have to be over 16 to uh, to donate. So, okay. And um, you can do it up until, you know, your later years. You can. We have blood donors that are still in their 80s and even a few in their 90s that have been donating for 50, 60, 70 years. It's amazing. I read something about the Missing Type campaign. What yeah, is that? that? Sure. That's a, that's a program that we're running this summer just to kind of raise awareness. And we're partnering with a lot of different companies out there. Google was one of them, you know. The, the, so the... The blood types are A, B, and O. You know, what would the world look like if those blood types were missing? So we actually had Google dropping the O's from Google, you know. Right. 
Google. I don't, I don't <laughs> even know what that is. Yeah, <laughs> if, if the O is gone. So it's a campaign working with different cor- corporate partners to raise awareness about that constant need for blood. You know, so we partnered with uh, some companies like Google, Domino's, MasterCard, State Farm, uh, just to name a few. Uh, it's a program that actually started internationally because obviously the need for blood is not just limited to the United States. It's a worldwide uh, issue. So it's a, just an awareness campaign um, to highlight some of our, our corporate partners. And, and that's really where we tend to get a lot of our blood in the summer. As I mentioned, the schools during the years, but uh, companies that sponsor blood drives, you know, certainly reach out to us at the Red Cross and give us a call uh, and and we'll gladly set up a blood drive with you and your company to roll up the sleeve and help save lives. So if someone wants to give, you, you're talking about as a company, they can set something up themselves. Uh, but what about if someone wants to give listening today, where would they go? Uh, redcross.org, our website, as I mentioned, you can just pop your zip code right on in there and it'll give you a list of blood drives near you. You can also call if you're afraid of the internet. Some of us still are. Uh, 1-800-RED-CROSS and that will also give you that listing of blood drives right near you. How has social media uh, helped in this uh, campaign? We see how social media is helping so many businesses, helping so many organizations. Uh, you really can reach out uh, to, to people immediately. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's just keeping that awareness and keeping that top of mind. I mean, social media is such a blast of information all the time. It, it can sometimes be information overload. So, you know, we try to just be one of the messages that are out there uh, delivering help and hope uh, when people are in need. And uh, finally, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I thought if, if people want to know about what to do prior to giving blood, is there anything in particular they need to prepare uh, for this with? Um, yeah, you know, just make sure you're, you're eating a healthy breakfast, the glass of orange juice, stay uh, hydrated. And then if you want to save time at the blood at the blood drive, we do have uh, something called Rapid Pass. You can actually complete some of that online or even download our Rapid Pass app on your phone. You can fill out some of that health history information and that'll kind of push you uh, up towards the front of the line when you walk into a blood drive and, and get you in and out even faster. Especially if you have not done so before, right? So that helps you speed the process up. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, whatever you can complete on the on the phone before you get there will also uh, speed things up and help you save lives even faster. Let's just mention a couple of the ways people can get in touch with the American Red Cross. It is uh, on the web at redcross.org. You can also follow us, uh, like us on Facebook at American Red Cross Eastern Pennsylvania Region or on Twitter at Red Cross East PA. And if, again, you're not one of those social media types, you're not one of those Internet types, the phone works too. 1-800-RED-CROSS for all kinds of Red Cross information. And the number for our local office here is 570-823-7161. Dave Scottnick, Director of Communications for the Red Cross to Eastern Pennsylvania. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks. Human trafficking, not just something that happens somewhere else. It's happening here, close to home. Intercom's Nikki Stone spoke with Tom Mosca. He's the co-chair of the Northeast Pennsylvania Human Trafficking Task Force. If you're going to want to get passionate about something and show compassion and do something that makes a difference, I think this is something you can get involved with and help to make a difference difference. We have attorney Tom Mosca on the phone. He is the co-chair of the Northeast PA Task Force Against Human Trafficking. How are you doing this morning, Tom? Very good. Thank you, Nikki. Thanks for having me on the show. This is no problem at all, because this is something that I think people don't realize is actually happening in their own backyard. 
it is. It's happening not only across the country and across the world, but right here in northeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, and, and I want to distinguish uh, at the outset uh, the difference between human smuggling and human trafficking, because I know there's sometimes some confusion. Smuggling involves someone paying to someone else to get them across a border. Human trafficking doesn't involve borders, doesn't require a border. Uh, it it uh, can happen anywhere at any time. It can happen with our, our own. I was I came across a story, and I, I I wish I would have known more about this before. A young girl from the Bloomsburg area. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that with that story, but there are stories in the uh, in the press all the time. They don't always have a headline saying human trafficking, but that's what it is. Uh, there was one last month in Hazel Township that involved a uh, woman who was uh, advertising a 15-year-old boy online to perform sexual acts with both men and women, and obviously that is sex uh, trafficking of human beings. Now, are there are certain websites that you keep an eye on for this activity? Uh, I do not. Uh, law enforcement does. Uh, there's there's a notorious one. I'm not even going to give it uh, any press, but that was shut down uh, by the federal government last month uh, that is being used regularly uh, and has been used. Uh, I think the problem is that when you shut one down, another one pops up. So it's an ongoing uh, problem. Right. I don't want to give any free advertisement, but I think that a lot of people do know that there's a very popular place where you go buy furniture, you can buy a house, you can buy a car, and then they had personal ads in it as well. And some of those personal ads were for activities like this. That's absolutely correct. And, and something that seems so innocent to somebody who was just looking to buy a new kitchen table, there's another section that could be actually selling people. That's right, and it, and it's uh, mind-boggling that in 2018 uh, we're still buying and selling human beings. It, it makes you want to cry. 199 human trafficking cases were reported last year in Pennsylvania alone. That is correct, and you're talking about a statistic of what was reported through the uh, uh, Human Trafficking National Hotline, um, and, and there is a national hotline that tries to track these things in all of the states, uh, and I'll give some of those numbers out uh, uh, when you're ready for them. Um, if, if people, people need to know those uh, contacts and, and reach out to the proper uh, authorities if they see something that may be human trafficking. Now, I do realize that there are people who participate in human trafficking, um, which blows my mind, too, because you, you have to know how old that child is. Or they're older, too. Like the girl that's missing in the Bloomsburg area, um, her name is Corinna Slusser, or is it Corinna? I, I'm sorry if I don't know the first name right, but her last name's Slusser. She's 19 years old, and she disappeared just last September from the Bloomsburg area. So we're, it could be young kids, or it could probably be, what do you think, um, early 20s, late teens, early 20s for the, the women? I think it can be of any age. It can be both men and women, both girls and boys, uh, any age, race. Uh, it, it happens to everybody. And, and by and large, those uh, people who are vic adult victims were probably trafficked as minors. I, I believe the story was this girl. It's a beautiful girl from the Bloomsburg area. and But she, you know, teenagers go through that depression and they don't feel like they belong anywhere. And uh, she ended up dropping out of school and she met this guy somehow who was from New York. 
And he brought her back there, promising her all this good life, and the good life ended up not being so good. Well, and that's part of the grooming process. Traffickers, uh, very much like pedophiles, traffickers groom their victims. Uh, and, and some of these young women uh, think that this trafficker is their boyfriend. And they're meeting him a lot now. I guess the Internet makes it so much easier for it to happen. It, it does, and it, and it has changed uh, the dynamics considerably. And hard, does it make it harder, though, or easier to pinpoint? Uh, I think that's a, a more of a question for law enforcement. Okay. I'm not really uh, – I, I would think that uh, it, it – is a much more vast uh, area to uh, police. I mean, the, the Internet is, is vast. Uh, and you talked about, you know, the age of, of victims. There was uh, last year, uh, I'm sure people will remember, there was a, a nine-year-old boy. Uh, two men conspired to traffic this nine-year-old boy uh, and, and raped him in a house in Pittston. Uh, that's human trafficking. We've heard about babies, too, which it's just so... Horrible. It's not just sex, though. It could be to work, labor, right? It could be labor trafficking. Uh, the, there's also the possibility that people could be trafficked for organ harvesting, although the approximately 80% of uh, human trafficking in the United States and in this area would be for commercial sex. And are there places that we should look for this, or how do we know? Uh, there are certain signs uh, that, that, you know, if you see some of these signs, uh, you, uh, you you might be uh, witnessing uh, somebody who's a victim of human trafficking. Uh, I'm just going to list a few. They can't uh, freely contact friends or family. They may appear fearful or anxious. And, and they would appear, you know, sometimes um, in an ER because they had an incident, you know, and uh, uh, somebody checking on them might be able to spot some of these signs. That's one place where it can happen. Uh, they defer to another person to speak for them. They won't speak on their own. Uh, they're not allowed to socialize or attend religious services. They might have tattoos. This is in, in this day and age, uh, tattoos are very much more acceptable than in uh, prior days. But when a tattoo says "property of" and has somebody's name, or says "cash only," or has a barcode, those are the types of tattoos that are, uh, you know an, your average person would not be having, uh, but a victim of human trafficking might. Okay. So, uh, what uh, what can people? Um, be doing? What do they do when they think they see somebody who's a victim? Uh, well, you can certainly um, you can certainly contact local law enforcement, and we, we would never uh, we never encourage anybody to directly approach someone they think is a human trafficker. But if they see someone they think is a victim, local law enforcement is a great great place to start. You can call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at one eight eight eight. 373-7888. You can tell, uh, text HELP to 233-733, or you can even go on uh, the uh, anywhere in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. You can dial 211, and you can get some information uh, that may be helpful to someone that's a victim, or anyone who is a victim can certainly reach out to any of these uh, numbers and uh, get some helpful information. What more should we be doing ourselves to be aware of this? Well, keeping one of the things we do as the task force is we've been going about the area giving uh, PowerPoint presentations. So if there's anybody out there that has a uh, uh, group or organization that uh, is interested in having a member of the task force come speak to them, we would be happy to do that. Uh, we are affiliated with the Victims Resource Center of Luzerne County, uh, and we can be reached through them at 570-823-0766. Uh, and just to 
highlight the importance of why we all need to know some of these signs, which we go into more thoroughly in our presentations. Last year in the news, there was uh, an incident involving an Alaska Airlines flight where there was a stewardess who had ha actually had some, some training uh, regarding human trafficking and was aware of some of the signs. And a young girl and an older man came onto the flight. The young girl had some bruising and uh, just carried herself in a way that made the flight attendant suspicious. She managed to get the girl to go to the restroom where she left her a note asking if she needed help. The girl said she did. The uh, uh, pilot reached out to authorities, and the man was arrested when they landed. That girl is now attending college. So there can be happy endings. And if, you, if we can help one person by, um, you know, helping them out of uh, this situation, the problem, th these people have a very difficult time getting out of this life once they're in it. And that's, you know, if we can spot the signs and help even one person. Truck uh, drivers happen to be one of the, the, the help a lot sometimes as well. I've, I've read stories. They have a, they have a very good website, uh, uh, Truckers Against Human Trafficking, uh, that has a lot of helpful information and videos on it. Uh, and they have been, and again, that's one of the places where people are trafficked is at truck stops. So, uh, you know, those truckers who... Uh, have a conscience and want to do something about it, uh, have put together this effort uh, on behalf of truckers to make people aware. And there are a lot of truckers who have a conscience and care about children. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, is there anything else you need to add today before we I have to go to break? Uh, there was, uh, there is something that some legislation that's been pending for the last couple of years that has not passed yet. Um, it's Senate Bill 554, which is more commonly known as the Safe Harbor Act. Uh, I can't speak to where that is uh, from the legislative process, but it's in the best interest of our children if that eventually passes. And what it would do, uh, children that are charged and arrested for prostitution would not be criminally prosecuted. They would be treated like the victims that they are, and they would be processed through the system in an effort to give them a way out. So rather than taking minors and, you know, uh, perpetuating the process, they would give them a way out and give them the assistance that they need. I think two weeks ago that moved to go to the floor, so I don't know what happens after when it, when it actually makes it to the floor, though. So it moved out of the Senate and onto the floor? Well, that's encouraging. It's been an extent. It's been around for the last since 2016, I believe. Oh, so maybe it might stay here for. Hopefully, they'll do something with that. I think something else might have been attached to it, so I'm not exactly sure what they're doing with it, as well. Tom, the next time something comes up in the news and we need to talk, or or you have something that you'd like to get out there, please feel free to uh, give us a call or I will call you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for checking in with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Do high school students know enough about civics before they graduate? Intercom's Frank Andrews talks with one state senator who thinks maybe having them take a test would be a good idea before they graduate. On the line with us right now from Harrisburg is Pennsylvania State Senator Andy Dinneman from Chester County, the 19th District. Senator, how's things down there in the motherland? 
<laughs> I'm not sure it's the motherland, but things are, things are their normal sense in Harrisburg. Uh, and but I'm delighted to discuss this particular bill. Tell tell me about it. now. This is this is an amendment to a bill, or what is this? No, ex- this is its own bill. Let me explain what is what has occurred. You know, we we have this excessive testing in our schools in three subject areas: algebra, biology, and English. And all of our other subject areas have been heard, especially history, social studies, civics. So my, so several senators, as well as some state representatives, came up with an idea that's an easy way for us to get it into the curriculum, and students sometime in their high school career will have to show that they can pass a test in this area. Uh, it's this. We believe that every high school student should be able to pass the same test on our government and constitution that every new citizen of, uh, who comes to this country has to pass before they gain citizenship. We are astounded by the studies uh, that show the lack of fundamental knowledge of government, of our history, of our constitution that's out there. You, in order to have a democracy and a government that works, you have to have some civic knowledge. Uh, when I went to school many years ago, and I'm sure many of your listeners, I'm 73, so I know many of your listeners uh, went to school maybe in the same era. Social studies, government, civics were part of the curriculum. Because of the testing that took place, they got de-emphasized, uh, and only certain subjects were focused on. And we, if we're going to be to continue as a nation, we're going to continue as a demo, as a vital democracy. Our young people have to understand that along with rights come responsibilities, and one of those responsibilities is to know about our government, to vote, and to understand how a bill becomes a law. If every new citizen has to pass such a test, then we should make sure that our schools are teaching this subject matter and that our own students could pass the test as well. Senator, there's an editorial in, uh, in the New York Times that says the National Assessment of education says that uh, 82% of 8th grade students are not proficient in American history and 77% are not proficient in civics. So it sounds like you are you are very accurate in your assessment of what's going on. Oh, yeah, and, and no, and, and, th- and think about this for a second. Uh, how do we keep a nation together? How do, we, how do we move forward if people don't know the fundamentals of, of what a democracy means? Uh, and we don't have uh, uh, a sense of history, a sense of community. And again, I think the fault lies when they when they started to create the Keystones test and the PASSA test, and they focused in on English, uh, math, and uh, and one of the and in the Keystones is biology. That what happened is your school was to be scored uh, and evaluated based on the test scores. The teacher evaluations were based on the test scores. So the schools began to teach to the test because that's how the state evaluated them. We need to end this excessive testing and we need to bring back social studies and history and civics as part of the curriculum. And by requiring this set of skills, 
uh, we is one step in doing so. You know, I, I'm an historian, a professor by occupation, and I could tell you that that when we created the public school system in this nation, and when even when we created our high schools, you know, which came into being at the turn of uh, of the last century, you know, in the early 1900s, we always said that one of the reasons we needed a public school system was not only to teach basic reading and writing and math, but it was to teach the citizens how they can become, how they can fully participate and make decisions in a democracy and participate in the whole election process. And unfortunately, uh, we've ignored all that over the last several decades because of these tests. And now we need to restore it. And I think most of your listeners would probably agree. I know that around my, I know that I'm, uh, during the Memorial Day weekend, I went out as any of the senators would go out, and I spoke to a number of, of, uh, of, of ceremonies where we thank the veterans. But when I mentioned that, uh, that uh, the veterans saved our democracy, uh, saved us, but we now need to make sure our citizens and our young people understand what a democracy is, literally people applauded, people cheered, people understood that that is so fundamental uh, in terms of keeping a sense of unity, a sense of purpose and mission uh, for all of us as Americans. Well, Senator, uh, you know, I went to your website and uh, and I really appreciate I know that you guys are in session on there. I appreciate you taking yes. time. Just briefly, there are two things on your website. Uh, these, are, these are great bills, which I immediately support just by reading them. Your Pennsylvania Family and Medical Leave Act extension and, yes. then, and then the pet protection from domestic abuse that's i never even thought about that but these are two bills can you briefly explain those oh sir? absolutely uh on the family uh on the on the family leave bill what as this uh, came about because several constituents came to talk to me you know uh if uh your uh, sister or your uh or your brother uh, uh or your mother gets uh gets um uh, gets has a terminal disease you uh are you can are not fully allowed to have the family leave uh because you're not defined as as a relative, because a relative is a mother, a father, etc., not a brother or a sister. And we limited it so it wouldn't affect uh, businesses by saying if there's a terminal illness that uh, for that purpose uh, a brother or a sister should be defined as a family member who, who, uh, who uh, would have this leave in part because often that's the only person left to take care of their mom or their dad, or in this case, was the only person who had the ability uh, uh, to take care of her sister who was dying of uh, terminal cancer. It, it sounds like common sense, but so does your, your bill on the pet protection from domestic abuse. What's that, sir? Uh, well, this is astounding when you look at the figures. The, that, in, uh, that in approximately, well, in over two-thirds of the cases, so it's not approximate, it's over two-thirds of the cases involving domestic abuse where someone has a protection of abuse order against their partner. 
when the partner cannot get to the person physically, what they do is they will either kill or maim or try to destroy the family pet or that person's pet to put emotional and traumatic harm when they can't put the harm physically, they try to do it through trauma and emotion. In fact, we know of families in where there is abuse, where the person stays in that abusive situation because they're to protect the family pet. And uh, we are, we're in the process of actually creating, uh, uh, at least in our area, uh, that if a situation like that exists, and to get you out of that house, we have people who will take care of your pet uh, for several months as you, get, as you leave that house and go into a safe place which might not accept the pet, and then when you're situated, you'll get it back. But, but we, if we know, and every study has shown, uh, that the harming of pets uh, that are members of the family is what people, uh, two-thirds of the people who have domestic abuse disorders against them, do it makes sense to increase the penalty for doing so senator th these are great bills I, I wish you the best of luck and i thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to call us well it's been a pleasure talking to you thank, thank you very you. much that's senator andy Dinneman from the 19th senatorial district which is chester county thanks for listening to special edition a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hiya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at penfed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.